It's good to see you here on uh, this last Sunday of the year, and uh, the, the family time continues. I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas with your family and loved ones, and we get to extend that time this morning as we welcome back one of our own, uh, one of the church's sons, Chris Wong, to uh, share with us some of uh, what he's been learning through his studies at the Master's Seminary, uh, and uh, as he's been serving at Lighthouse Community Church, as well as some of his life. Uh, we're so grateful to have a dear friend and brother back with us to minister to the uh, minister to us the word, and so uh, with uh, further ado, without further ado, we'll ask our brother to come and share uh, what he's been learning. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a real joy and privilege uh, for me to, to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, it's wow. Um, I'm really thankful just to be back here at, at San Francisco Bible Church. Uh, to see um, so many f uh, familiar faces uh, out here, um, just uh, some of you just laughing at me right now, but that, that's okay, that's okay, hum humility is good. Um, some of you may know I've been studying at uh, the Master's Seminary for uh, the past three years, um, so I'm technically a, a fourth year, or um, uh, if you're an undergrad, a super senior, so I wasn't able to, to complete it in three years, uh, but it's, again, um, more growing and uh, more growing humility, too. Um, I've been serving at a church in Torrance called Lighthouse Community Church, and Lord willing, I'll be graduating in May, and uh, hopefully the Lord will provide opportunities for me uh, somewhere in terms of pastoral ministry, but right now it's currently a time of, of, of praying, a time of uh, exploring opportunities, and also a pray, praying to, that, you know, God will provide something, but, you know, there's also things in my own heart where I'm, I'm just growing to just wait on the Lord. Uh, in, just, in terms of just future opportunities, future plans, and what's in store. Uh, but it has been uh, really good and uh, even an opportunity for me to grow personally. And uh, God has been gracious and in, in, in constantly working in my life and in shaping me and molding me, hopefully with uh, greater humility as one who loves and cares for people uh, well, whether in the, ch the church, with my family and friends, uh, as well as uh, neighbors. Um, I also want to thank you. Uh, some of you who uh, actually use social media, uh, I think I, I classify myself as, as a millennial still. Um, so for many of you who still uh, use Instagram, uh, Facebook, um, it's just real, uh, a real joy to just catch up in those, I guess, distant and uh, distant ways to just find out what's going on in your lives. Uh, as um, Some of you guys keep in contact with me, um, some of you not, but that, that's okay, no hard feelings. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's been good to just see how some of you have gotten engaged, married, um, some of you have welcomed a new child in, into your family, and so I get to see all of that from a distance, and uh, I'm really uh, encouraged by just uh, what the Lord is, is doing uh, just in your lives as well as uh, just here at SF Bible. Well, uh, without further ado, uh, I think it will be uh, wise and appropriate for us to begin our time with a word of prayer as we uh, dig into the word, so uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the opportunity and privilege that it is uh, to come before you, to hear from your word. Uh, I pray that your spirit would uh, help me to, to be clear, uh, uh, teach with clarity, and that we would understand the main point of your passage as well as how it's relevant and applies uh, to, to our lives, Lord. Uh, but we, we need and we desperately need your spirit uh, to help us, Lord. Um, so it is with that heart, with that mindset, uh, that we ask for your help knowing that we are a needy people, uh, but yet, uh, in light of that, seeing how you are a gracious God who provides. So we ask this, we love, uh, in your son Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, well, I'd like to start and begin our, our time this morning with uh, just a, a question for you to, to ponder and really consider really quickly. And that is, what comes to mind when you hear the word um, praise? Uh, we just sang songs um, that contain the lyrics repeated over and over, praise, right? Uh, pr- praise God. For some of you, praise is that time when you maybe come to church on Sunday and sing some songs of praise uh, before listening and hearing a sermon on a specific Bible passage. Or maybe some uh, others of you coming here today, uh, think mainly about praise uh, being uh, like that, that phrase, praise the Lord, right? An acknowledgement of a positive thing that God is, is, has done for you or is doing in your life, like Praise the Lord, I was able to find a parking spot next to church uh, this morning so I don't have to walk one block and bring a sweat from it. Or maybe praise the Lord, uh, I wasn't late for service this morning and have to make that walk of shame uh, knowing that I missed the, the beginning prayer and, but just made it in time for announcements. Well, maybe for some of you in here, uh, you, maybe you don't have an idea of what the word praise really means, though you hear it a lot. Or perhaps other Christians mean when they say praise, it's just thrown out there in a conversation. It just becomes a a lingo or Christianese term uh, you got to learn and pick up if you want to be in the community, right? Well, perhaps for some of you, the term has become somewhat meaningless, uh, maybe somewhat dulled and and overused uh, to the point where the word and action itself carries very little weight in your life, minimal significance. It's as forgettable as old archaic words that are no longer used. Or maybe for some of you, you view praise the Lord as being that cool or hip in social media uh, circles. And maybe you're technologically inclined. You've heard of hashtag PTL, right, or hashtag blessed. Uh, But for today, I would like for us to consider this topic of praise and also the importance of praising God in our lives. And I think it's very important for us to consider this morning because... If we don't really consider and examine our own hearts, our own lives, and and where we stand in praising God, we can be a forgetting people, forgetful people. Uh, And when we forget, we're not remembering the the many reasons and the many uh, things that God is doing in our lives that is worthy of of praise to him. So with that said, uh, let's turn our attention to God's word this morning and Uh, The passage of scripture that I would like for us to consider and focus on this morning is found in the book of Psalms. And in particular, we're going to be looking at Psalm 145. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to Psalm 145. I will be reading from the New American Standard Version. Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Uh, One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. 
They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall. And raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all the flesh, flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. The book of Psalms contains the gamut of emotions and experiences that the people of God could experience in life. And maybe perhaps some of you can re relate when you read the book of Psalms and just the emotion of the authors. Many of us gravitate to the book of Psalms because maybe we, we, we find appealing the poetic language of it, right? Or the expressive illustrations and, and metaphors found throughout this beloved book of the Bible that makes us stand apart from other letters of the Bible, maybe like written by Paul, right? Maybe it's very straightforward. Christ did this, therefore... We find that sometimes the author of a particular psalm is praising God. Or maybe sometimes the author is seeking wisdom from God, giving thanks, or maybe lamenting over a particular loss in life, or maybe a particular period of suffering. We also find prayerful songs of confession, as well as petitions, asking God for something. Yet if we were to step back for a little bit, step back for just a little, how many of us would consider one of the actual major purposes for the book of Psalms as a whole? You see, the devotion of the psalmist inspires us to have the very same kind of devotion and mindset as the psalmist has in, in relation to God. to let the response of the psalmist towards God's character and his wondrous works be our response. And so these songs instruct us both in life and in faith. And today we will consider what Psalm 145 has to teach us about a life of praise. Psalm 145 is a song of praise. In fact, it's actually the only psalm that's called praise here. It's uh, the last psalm that's explicitly or accredited or attributed to David as its author, King David. 
And it's also seen by many as a transition song, a transitory song to the well-known uh, concluding doxological, a big word for basically worship psalms that run from Psalm 146 through 150. And the word praise comes from this word in the Hebrew called halal, from which we get a similar word that we understand, hallelujah, which means praise God. Just another fact to throw in there. I'm sure you, I'll assure you it's, it, it's useful. I'm not just nerding out here um, based off studying too many books in seminary. But it's also known as an acrostic song, uh, which basically means that um, each verse in the Hebrew begins with a word with its first letter matching with a consecutive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So rather than ABC in English language, in Hebrew it would be Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit. Kind of like how we would have to memorize the ABCs and 123s as a young child. We would associate these letters with words like apples, bananas, cherries. And the significance of me bringing this point out and the significance of the psalm having this type of structure is that it intentionally highlights the fact that praising God can happen in various ways as well as for various reasons. It emphasizes the veracity and wide range of praise that the author David seeks to give God, which is why many have called this song a song of praise from A to Z, because it's comprehensive in just the many ways that we need al the alphabet to, con to, to form all the different words in our language. But Psalm 145 is also a unique acrostic because one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet is actually missing. So in other words, this is called a, a broken acrostic because one of the letters that would make it complete is absent. In some English translations, such as the ESV or NIV, which I know maybe some of you have this morning, have sought to resolve this perceived issue by stating that this portion of the verse was maybe lost in transmission of the text and that it would have shown up in your Bibles under verse 13b, where the Hebrew letter N would be, but is missing. However, you're with us this morning with, uh, which most of you probably use the New American Standard translation, it does not contain the second portion of the verse. And I think a stronger reason for why the author intentionally left this out can be found with this view. That perhaps David intentionally left out a letter or this phrase, to show us that, you know, praising God is not fully exhausted as finite creatures. In other words, we can give 10,000 reasons, 10,000 praises to God, and even yet then, that would still not fully exhaust the reasons why we ought to praise him and his character. Yet this song is a, a humble attempt to praise God from A to Z. Because the psalmist sees it as necessary because of who God is. Just as every letter of the alphabet is the source of all of the words in our language, it's arranged that way as a praise to God. So the psalm starts with a call to praise to God. That is to lift God up, to prop God up with our words. And so that's the purpose of this praise psalm. The purpose is to stir and motivate us to continually grow in our praise of God. And so that's the key idea I want us to see for us this morning. That Psalm 145 stirs and motivates us to continually grow in our praise of God. And in particular, we're going to be looking at four compelling reasons why we are to praise God. 
And the first compelling reason to praise God is found in our passage today because we praise God for his greatness. And that, that theme, that motif, is found heavily in verses 1 through 6. If you look with me at verse 1 and 2 in your Bibles, it says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. The first thing we notice is just how personal this praise is. Uh, Praise to God here isn't just a congregational thing. Uh, It's first and foremost personal in nature. It ought to affect you in your own core, in your own heart. David acknowledges that he himself must praise God for himself. He doesn't expect or leave it up to someone else to praise God on his behalf, but personally initiates this praise on his own. It's a personal praise to a personal God. And the attitude of praise is rooted in the psalmist's understanding that God is the ultimate king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords over his life. David may have been the king over Israel, a man of high position in the eyes of many, but even David knew he was made king by none other than God himself. The ultimate king is worthy and deserving of nothing less than the greatest praise. The word for extol here means to to lift up and elevate with high esteem. So what David's trying to do here is he's trying to put God up on a pedestal, or more appropriately, an elevated throne that he rightly deserves to be seated on and through the lips of his praise and through his mouth. And this will take place forever and ever. It will go on for a, a lifetime for the length of David's life but will also continue into eternity as far as he's concerned. And why is that that the case? Well, it's because God is eternally existing, and therefore praise for him must not and will not cease. David also knows that he will be the Lord forever and praise him for all eternity. You know, we live in in a day where people who were once praised are eventually forgotten, Uh, They lose relevance with what's new. I think about this a lot because right now I live in L.A., and L.A. is also known usually for the the signs on the hill, Hollywood. You think of Hollywood, Hollywood stars from from decades ago. Uh, Think of people that were, they they come and go. They're forgotten. Think of people who were maybe once honored for past accomplishments. They're forgotten. Yet the reality is that man's glory And spotlight is short-lived. They may be remembered in a news article. They may even have books written about them, him or her. But eventually, a new generation comes along, will have moved on and focused their attention on another person or another thing. But if there's one thing we learn from this song, it's that praising God ought not to be, shouldn't be temporary. It ought not to be a one-and-done thing in our lives. Our lives should be characterized by praise. Just as we sung in in that song earlier, all glory be to Christ, that our lives ought to be a spiritual offering to God, and all the things that we do and even say ought to be reflective of a praiseful heart. Praising God isn't just a a once-a-week activity, It ought to take place every day in our lives. 
Look with me now at verse 3. Here we see the reason for why David praises God and has resolved to do so forever. God is praised for his greatness. David doesn't praise God purely out of just emotionalism, devoid of any reasonable basis. Like we would label someone of uh, maybe just being a fanatic. Someone who uh, obsessively thinks uh, or obsesses over someone or something without any reasonable like reason. There's solid reasoning here. And very specific reasons about why David praises God. You see, the magnitude of God's character determines the magnitude of his greatness. Think about it. Uh, when we use the word great in our, in, our, in our normal day conversations today, or maybe awesome, right? We often use it to express and use it to describe something or someone that we maybe may deem worthy of that praise or recognition. As someone who actively uh, uses Yelp, uh, for some of you who don't know what Yelp is, um, uh, I'm a millennial, so might run with me with these illustrations. But it, it's basically an online business directory uh, with crowd-generated, peer-reviewed uh, reviews and, and pictures of restaurants and places of interest that you might want to search out and maybe consider after doing your research. And I can't tell you the number of times I've come across reviews of restaurants or friends telling me, like, oh, you got to try this place for, the, for their food or maybe the, the bubble milk tea that, that they have because, you know, as they say, they put it, it's so good or it's the best. Like, it, it's awesome, right? Uh, yet after trying it, I felt a bit underwhelmed. It didn't live up to my expectations. And I felt misled. I felt that the, that restaurant or drink place didn't deserve to be praised as much as it it was. Maybe I'm just a hater, but anyways. Perhaps some of you in here have felt that sort of disappointment in life, but maybe on a larger and more significant scale, right, than me just trying to find a, another meal to eat, a good meal to eat. Or maybe you even know someone who says, everything is great, everything is awesome, using these superlatives and adjectives for things that are perhaps maybe just ought to be considered common, not really a, truly a cut above the rest. But I think most of us would agree that if everything is great, right, if we use awesome for everything, oh, that's awesome, that's often awesome, you're awesome, right? As you're probably thinking about a movie right now, but <laughs> it means that nothing really stands out from each other. It would mean all restaurants are worthy of five stars in quality or deserves three Michelin stars. It would mean all sports teams are great, you know. Even though the basketball team I cheer for located in the Bay Area has arguably lost some of its best players or out of, because of injury or is, is having a rough season right now, right? And all that is to say that words lose their significance when they're just used so commonly or flippantly to the point where it doesn't stand out anymore. We don't reserve them for what really truly matters, right? Yet God does stand out. He is set apart as being great. And the psalmist says that God's greatness is unsearchable. I want us to, to think about that word for a minute. God's unsearchable greatness. When it says that God's greatness is unsearchable, it means that while we can probe the greatness of the Lord, we can never fully exhaust all there is to know about him and what it makes him great. No one can fully discover the full scope of his greatness. It's beyond full human comprehension. 
This helps us understand that it's impossible for us to fully comprehend God. But while we can't fully comprehend God, it doesn't mean that God is unknowable at all. He has given us his word to know him, right? So that we might live for him. But what this means is that there's always more for us to learn, right? That there should be a sense of discontentment in our own understanding of God and our own discontentment and how we praise God and the limitations that we face as we try to praise God. I remember uh, one of the first classes that I took in seminary my first year was Theology 1. The professor was known as, uh, I think we called him the the butcher, but all of his exams were really hard because there wasn't any multiple choice where you could just do C's if you don't know the answer. Um, But you actually had to just write out essays, and it was all free response, uh, most of it. Um, So it, it was pretty challenging. But he made that class really tough and difficult for a good reason. Because he understood and was trying to instill in us that God is worthy of such effort. The study of God is is, is worthy of such pursuit, that that, that strain, that that, that strenuous effort to try to know him more on a a deeper level, uh, to seek his word and to to try to to praise him and acknowledge him for his, his greatness. And that's why he started the class by teaching us and pointing us to Psalm 145, 3. And said that this verse teaches us what it means to experience what he calls a blessed despair. Blessed despair. A despair with the fact that the more we try to seek and know God in his word, the more we realize how much we don't know. How he works through our circumstances. And how his ways sometimes are not our ways. Yet rather than leaving us in a uh, a sense of uh, frustration, uh, it ought to lead us to a feeling of, of blessing that we get to know this God more. That he has condescended, made himself to, to, known to us to, to an extent and sufficiently through his word. And so it means there's more for us to learn, that we never master learning about God. And what this means for, for you and me uh, here this morning is Don't be content with your current understanding of him. Don't ever feel like you've fully arrived. Don't ever say that you've fully figured things out. Just because maybe you've gone through and read the Bible once or twice or three times, that you have a certain study Bible with all the the answers to all your questions, like a cheat code for a young kid who plays games and doesn't want to beat it the fair way, the, the, the correct way. And that's a challenge for us today as believers. So does your praise of God recognize and acknowledge his greatness? In your thoughts of God, is your meditation in his word, in your prayers, honoring his greatness? The idea of meditation here that we see in verse 5 is very important, as we'll see more. But the idea of meditation means to think, to ponder. To really consider. There's a sense of repetition to it. It's not something that we trivially just move aside and think uh, and feel, feel like we figured things out. If we truly praise God and worship for being great, we would praise God for being great, greater than the problems maybe we face in life. And maybe that's why 
circumstances seem so tough and difficult for us in our lives sometimes. Because we don't see God as being greater than that in his character. Greater than our sufferings and sickness. That God is greater than even our, our enemies that we may be facing or experiencing. A conflict in a relationship. We should even believe that God is greater than the desires of our heart. And that we would even be willing to lay even good desires down for the sake of desiring Christ more. To desire God more. So that he may be glorified through that. Theologian and author uh, A.W. Tozer once wrote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, what comes to you when your mind, uh, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And what I think he meant by that was that your worship is only as pure as whether or not you have high thoughts about God or low thoughts about God. Perhaps your praise does not honor the greatness of God in your life and you have not acknowledged him as being great as he truly is. You see, praising God's greatness means praising him consistently through your thoughts, consistent thoughts, consistent words. And one way you can test if you have treated God as common rather than being great is thinking about what has gotten you excited, brought you joy and happiness this past week, this past month. And compare that to that excitement and joy for God. Do you get more excited about the other things in life more than the opportunity you have to praise God? Perhaps Christmas would be a good litmus test for you. Maybe for some of you, seeing the greatness of God would mean that you wouldn't care so much about maybe what other people think about you. Instead of a heart to please man, your, your heart would rather seek to seek God's approval instead of man's approval. Why? Because you think and esteem God more highly than the thoughts and opinion of men. Or perhaps you wouldn't be so preoccupied with making a name for yourself, wherever that may be, in whatever context, whether it be in the workplace, being a social media influencer. But seek to make God's name great through your words and actions. That you would have the mindset that John the Baptist had in John 3.30 when speaking of Christ, that he must increase and I must decrease. Because if God's greatness is incomparable to anyone else, our praise should passionately reflect that in our words, in our thoughts, in comparison to the praise of other things that we perhaps lift up in praise. But our individual praise is not enough. Just as the greatness of God is expansive in great degree and magnitude, it has to extend to others praising him. We cannot be content only with ourselves praising God, but see to it that others do as well. And that's the mindset that's brought to us in verse 4. Because God is great in infinite degree, the praise due his name uh, uh, should seek to perpetuate from one generation to another generation. This speaks of the opportunity that believers have to ensure that the next generation, after we've died out, died off, continue to praise God for his greatness. And this has more to do than just instruction, more than just instruction in the context of teaching and preaching. While it's important to teach and instruct children 
verbally with words to, to praise God for who he is and why he is great. The challenge for us today, perhaps, as it was for David's generation and the people of Israel at that time, was to model a life of praise to others. Such as some of you in here this morning who may be fathers and mothers, Sunday school teachers, aunties and uncles, grandmothers and grandfathers, have a unique opportunity to be an example to the next generation of what it means to praise God. They do this through their own praise of God. You see, praise is caught as much as it is taught. Discipleship instructs, but also models that instruction. And the most effective way of encouraging worship, encouraging praise in the younger generation, in their praise of God, uh, to be a better worshiper of the Lord, is to, for us to actually be those who praise God and worship God that other people can emulate. And that's what this psalm is encouraging here. For the current generation of uh, God worshipers to hand over the baton of, pr- of praising God to the next generation of younger believers. And if we model to the next generation of believers that greatness, because if we model to the next generation that greatness is seen in the grades you get in school, in being the, the best well-rounded person in music and sports while getting into a good college that's respected, or achieving success in the world's eyes, or certain pedigree of degree or success in a career. We are actually modeling to the next generation and teaching them by example that greatness is found in something other than God. So what are we to model and proclaim to this next generation about God's greatness? Well, verses 4 through 6 provides us with the answer. Uh, The psalmist speaks of God's greatness in his mighty acts. Uh, This would have been uh, memorable acts of God on behalf of his people, like crossing the Red Sea, where God displayed his magnificent power. Uh, These events weren't just demonstrations of God's power, but also demonstration of uh, to, to draw reverence and praise from his people, rather than grumbling and complaining afterwards, such as when Israel, who God faithfully rescued and delivered through that sea, grumbled and complained in the wilderness when they forgot to praise God. They didn't remember. And in verse 5, David expresses his commitment to meditate, to to think deeply about God's splendor, his majesty, which all point to his greatness. As we said earlier, to meditate on God's greatness, it's, it's repetition of truth, of thinking and pondering. It's not an emptying of one's mind like you would imagine maybe if you were to take a yoga class or maybe soul cycle if you go to the gym. It means to think repeatedly over and over on the truth of God as revealed. To want to understand and hear God through his written word, like in Psalm 1 where the psalmist meditates on the law day and night. Uh, it means to think out loud as you whisper and murmur aspects of his splendor. Almost like in a soft voice of scripture. Repeating a verse over and over, thinking through, how does this apply to my life? Oh, God is great in this this different way. You see, David is in awe of God and his wondrous works. And that praise of God's greatness comes out in his proclamation of his acts and deeds. And so our lives can't be void or empty of praise for God. But as verse 6 indicates, 
It's also for the next generation to praise God. Can't be contained, but it must perpetuate into the future. His mighty acts and awesome deeds weren't just the ones done during the time of the patriarchs, the nation of Israel, or even at the the time of King David. His greatness continues even today. There is a perpetual legacy of God's greatness that we can witness through the events of history. God speaks of God's greatness in redemptive history and saving and delivering his people, and that continues even today with our own lives. As Christians who have witnessed God's acts and deeds in our lives, uh, we've experienced his greatness and want to pass that truth about God to the next generation. So when David says, I will declare your greatness, he's showing the role he has to play in passing on that praise. Every believer has experienced the mighty and awesome acts of God in their own testimony of salvation. When you attend a baptism service here at San Francisco Bible, you likely get to hear the testimonies of those who once rebelled and lived apart from God in sin and and brokenness, now come to faith and repentance to Jesus Christ and, and place their faith in him as Lord and Savior. That is an opportunity to praise God and to share that praise with others. Those who praise God can't help but talk about God constantly and consistently to celebrate God's greatness. A Christian that praises God with his or her life does so by sharing about God's acts and God's deeds in their lives consistently. It must come forth from our lips for others to hear, whether it be at a prayer meeting that you attend or in a conversation that you have with another brother and sister after this this sermon or after you maybe gather for lunch or in a midweek church fellowship group or even outside as you're meeting for coffee. And if that weren't convincing enough of what a life of praise ought to look like, consider how or now what verse 7 has to say about praising God as we look at the second reason to praise God. The second compelling reason to praise God is for God's goodness. And don't worry, we're going to go faster later on. Praise for God's goodness. Uh, Verse 7, the words for eagerly utter has this picture of, in the ESV translation, it's, it's, more, uh, it's more picturesque, a picture of water uh, gushing or overflowing with great fluidity and volume, like a, like a spring or fountain that gushes out water, like something you see out of maybe a local park, like a geyser of sorts. And this word picture, it gives clarity on what it looks like to praise God with our lives. Not to, not to spit in people's faces as we're talking about God, uh, but our speech should be uh, metaphorically gushing forth with praise of the many ways that, that God has manifested his greatness. It should be in abundance, coming forth continuously, readily coming forth like a nozzling a hose rather than being restricted. What else are we to praise God for? Well, verse 8 supplies the answer. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For those of you even in the ESV, or slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Uh, that statement is almost a word for word echo of Exodus 34 6. And that was a time when God revealed himself to Moses at Sinai after Israel had worshiped the golden calf as an idol. But God, rather than demolishing them then and there, reveals his grace and mercy through forgiveness and a renewed covenant with Israel. So God also demonstrated that he is slow to anger and abounding in continuous enduring love for us. God loves and cares for his people even after the great sin that happened at the, 
the incident at Sinai. And God confirmed that he was still gracious and loving towards his people. And this is something that ought to motivate us and inform us of our praise of God, to praise his daily grace in our lives, giving us what we don't deserve and withholding from us what we do deserve. But the Lord is not only good to his people. Psalm 145 goes beyond that, uh, beyond God's goodness for the individual believers and to other believers as well. This isn't a psalm that limits God's goodness or greatness only to believers. It extends to all people, as verse 8 tells us. It's an invitation for all people to recognize and praise God, for he has shown his goodness and mercy towards all humanity. And all should recognize and praise God for the fact that, for the fact that, that is brought out in verse 9, that God is gracious to all creation. This is his common grace extended to all. So not only are we to praise God for his greatness and his goodness, but we are also now to praise God for his sovereign rule. Now, let's glance over a little in verse 10, but in verse 10, the psalmist says, all God's work shall declare thanksgiving to God, and all of God's people will bless God. So that is the proper response to God's character, his goodness. But the third compelling reason I want us to focus on is the sovereign rule in verses 11 through 13. In verse 11, David shifts his focus towards God's sovereign rule. He's a king over his kingdom, and that's why it says, God's people shall speak of the kingdom in verse 11. And verse 12 repeats that, the glorious splendor of God's kingdom. And then verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So not only does this kingdom last forever, God's dominion over this kingdom endures forever as well. And so God's reign and rule over creation is universal and continuous. He never loses control over his creation. And that's another reason uh, to praise God when it seems like the world around you is chaotic. He holds the world in his hands. And that, brothers and sisters, is a reason to praise God, for he never changes in this regard. Uh, When it seems like the world around you is falling apart, things are a mess, Things don't seem to be going the way that they ought. For example, governments come and go. Leaders get elected and installed, impeached and re-elected. Kings and queens come and go. Countries and nations rise and fall. God's office is not a limited term. He doesn't go on sabbatical, allowing things to to be out of control during a a change of shift. There's no change in in, in ruling staff or cabinet or a branch of government that changes policy when people... Uh, when the leadership change, God is above all rulers and the supreme ruler and king. No president would be appointed uh, unless it was God's sovereign will for him to be in that office for that particular amount of time. As God's people under his rule, we ought to praise God for his eternal rule over his everlasting kingdom. In the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar He himself, being an earthly ruler, confesses God's rule. Where in Daniel 4, 3, he says, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. You see, unlike earthly kingdoms that are temporal, God's kingdom stands above that, is supreme, and is defined as being eternal and enduring. I'm sure many of you know as a country, Uh, Many eyes are focused on politics right now. Questions like, who will be the next president for this country in the upcoming elections? People are uh, 
putting their hopes in a potential ruler or party, returning to power or continuing power. And, you know, whatever side or position that you may find yourself under this political spectrum, uh, the reality is that governmental powers here on earth come and go. And history reveals just the temporal nature of nations rising and falling. And how even one country's economy can very quickly become weak. One's military forces can, can suddenly diminish. But our hope as believers is ultimately in another ruler. That ought to be what we yearn and, and, and praise God for, his rule. Not for the rule or reign of whoever is going to get elected into the Oval Office. Our ultimate hope is in the return of King Jesus. Because King Jesus is our Lord and Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, who during his first coming proclaimed the kingdom of God in his Sermon on the Mount. And while Jesus had taught us about the future kingdom, he promised that he will one day come again and fulfill that promise. And therefore, we can have faith in that and praise God for the fact that we will one day dwell with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and be a part of this future, eternal, enduring, non-temporal kingdom established here on earth. A kingdom where Jesus Christ will make all things right that seem wrong in this world due to the brokenness and the effects of sin in this world. And his enemies will submit to him and we will be able to dwell with him together forever and be engaged in, in worshiping and adoring him face to face. Next we see a life of praising God means specific ways that we can praise God. The content of praise takes on a more definite form as we are given more reasons to praise God. And so the fourth compelling reason to praise God is for his providential care. And that's from verses 14 to 20. And we're going to look at very specific ways, the nitty-gritty of, uh, and the specifics of how God providentially cares. So he providentially cares as a king who rules over his creation. God exercises his care with words such as, you'll find in these verses, sustain, raise up, give, satisfy. And it'll speak and it points our attention to his ways, his deeds. And then when we look at verses 14 to 20, we look and see the word all, all repeated over and over and over in these verses. And all that's to punctuate and make the point Praising God includes, includes praising him for all his deeds, all his attributes, all his care for us, as well as his creation. Just as David committed himself to praise God continuously, we're challenged today as participants in continuously praising God throughout our lives in these specific ways. And a specific way that God demonstrates his providential care is that one, God helps, verse 14. God helps. He supports those who are falling. Uh, that's, that's the idea of someone failing. He raises them up and props them up when people are down. God raises up the, uh, the fallen and is mindful of those who feel defeated in their spirit, in life. Those possibly oppressed. Those who might be, even be ill. Psalm thirty fourteen is where David says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You see, when you're in a, a tough spot and, and feel weak, you can have the assurance that God will help you in your own perception of, and, and feeling of inadequacy. 
that he can deliver you from any difficulty. And perhaps some of you are in a period of life where it sounds like you're, you're failing in life for whatever reason. Maybe for some of you it's that battle with sin. It seems uh, like a, a constant struggle, yet you're trying to persevere. Maybe some of you are, uh, seem uh, oppressed, uh, even like ill physically. And it's during times like these that you can trust in God helping you through such circumstances. And then in response, you can praise him for his adequacy, even when you feel so weak. Another way that God shows his providential care and his provision for creation. You see, God provides, verse 15 to 16. God provides. And this is a hopeful waiting and anticipation for God to provide. The idea of due season would have been understood in the, the realm of agriculture where crops for food were dependent on God's provision and giving good, favorable weather conditions, whether it be rains, for them to have food. And in verse 16, when God opens his hands, it expresses this picture of uh, like a hand feeding animals, like something you would expect a loving owner of a flock of, of baby animals to feed his animals with his bare hands until they were fully satisfied. This is a portrait of how God is generous towards us. He meets our basic needs and provides his people with abundance, though we are often blind to see that. So then the challenge for you this morning, that's the Bible, this afternoon is, do you see God providing your life? And are you praising God for what he provides you with? Do you praise God for the job that he has provided you, perhaps after a season or term of unemployment? Or perhaps did you forget only thinking about the next thing? Do you praise God for providing with the food that you have to eat each, each day? Do you praise God for fill in the blank? These two verses challenge us to consider all the different ways that God has provided for you and has satisfied you. Another way we can praise God for his providential care is acknowledging his righteousness and kindness in verse 17. It's a seemingly uh, weird mix, righteousness, kindness. But really it speaks of God being right in all his ways and works because all that God does is just an outflow, an outworking of his righteous character. That God cannot be unrighteous or unjust in his actions because God does not change. He is not like man, but he is the same yesterday, today, and, and, and tomorrow, and forever. And this is a reason we should praise God for, and we can approach him confidently for. In verses 18 to 20, we see another reason why we can praise God for his providential care. I'm sorry, 18 and 19. It's because God listens. But the question is, who does he listen to? He listens to those who call on him. Those who show their need for him. I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. That is the heart of that song that we sing, isn't it? He listens to those who call on him. Those who pray to him. Those are the people he is near to. It's conditional. But who are the ones who call on God? Who are the ones? Who are these people? Those who pray. Pray to him. 
prayer shows and models our dependency on him rather than our own self-sufficiency and relying on our own selves to accomplish things in life, right? Focusing on our own power. Thinking that as long as we work or work hard enough, then we will accomplish that. We will gain something. But that is the, the mind and the heart of a man who is self-sufficient rather than one who needs and depends on God. Uh, the focus of these verses then shifts from God's regular care for all creation and puts attention on God's response to his particular people, those who fear him. Uh, this is a characteristic of believers who approach God knowing God listens to them. And we approach God by calling on him in prayer, prayer for help in whatever situation you might be facing in life. When you're sick, when you're fearful, when you sense danger in life, an unknown variable or factor that may alter decisions and may seem like it's going to be a snowball effect on your life or have that effect. But God will listen to us and you can call on him. And when God answers our prayers, we can praise him for listening. Finally, we can praise God for his protection in verse 20. God protects those who love him. He guards his people and watches over them. And that means that we belong to God forever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who know and love him. Now, that doesn't mean we'll be protected from any sort of discomfort or trials in life. This isn't a health, wealth, prosperity type of promise. But our lives are eternally secure in him. And we will be a part of his kingdom because of him. And we can praise God for his daily protection of us. But again, this only applies to those who love him. Just as in verse 19. God fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Uh, the reality is that the wicked, as we read earlier, and it's very sober when we read this, will be destroyed. That there will be no protection from the ultimate judgment for the wicked, that is, those who reject God in this life. If there is anyone here today who has no idea how to be near to God, I hope you would come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, during Christmas, we celebrate the coming and the birth of our Savior. The fact that Jesus was actually always existing in spirit. But then he took on the form of men, to a man, humbled himself, dwelled with us in the flesh. Why? So that he could live a perfect and righteous life and then die on the cross to be a substitute for our sins. Where we as sinful men who rebelled against God sought to, to, to praise and live for ourselves, he died so that we might be saved, we might be reconciled to him, that our sins, if we place our faith in him, would be laid upon him, and his death on the cross would atone for that sin, and we would receive forgiveness, we would receive eternal life. Rather than be enemies of God, we would be friends of God, adopted in his family. And that he rose three days later after the cross and proclaimed victory over death and sin, and that is the victory and that we will face one day as we reign 
God with him. Co-heirs in Christ. So my hope is that you would, uh, if that's you today, that you would see that in light of your sin, you can turn from your rebellion against God and find forgiveness in the great salvation that is afforded and available to you today in Jesus Christ. That though you may be far from him now, you can be brought near to him through his blood. Finally, Psalm 145 ends with verse 21, where it reads, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. The psalm closes the way it began. It comes full circle, functions sort of as a bookend from A to Z, showing us how and what we are to praise God for. And it's to encourage us that praise should be natural in our conversations just as we form words through letters in our mouth, through our lips. And so may SF Bible be a church community, a people of God that continues to praise God for his greatness, that exalts Christ to praise him, speak of his goodness through the conversations that you have, through your words with maybe even unbelieving family, friends, coworkers. And that we may not be content with that end, but also continue desire and make it our mission to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for just the opportunity that we have to come before you. We ask for your spirit that even as we earnestly seek to live a life of praise, Lord, to seek to really examine ways for us to to, to praise you in a deeper way, uh, to really consider your characters in, in a deeper fashion, that we need your help, Lord, because it's so easy to prone and prone for us to, to wander, to leave the God that we love in our, in our thoughts, in our minds, and in our actions, Lord. So to that end, we ask for your spirit to help us because we need you. We love you and pray these things in your son Jesus' name.